NPR. This is the Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Darian Woods, and it is Indicators of the Week. Yeah! Indicators of the Week! Yes, it is! And this week, we are joined by our Planet Money colleague, Nick Fountain. I promise not to yell the whole time. I'm just so excited. I love this energy. (laughs) I love this energy. Keep it up. And today, we're going to recap our favorite indicators from a few of this week's top headlines. We'll be talking about a government iPhone ban in China, a high-stakes negotiation, and a mass exodus of employees from one of the top dating apps in the country. We're going to cover all that after this break. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. It's Indicators of the Week. Darian, you're up first this week. All right, so my indicator is $200 billion, and that's roughly how much of Apple's market value just evaporated into thin air. It happened after the Wall Street Journal reported that government employees in China were being discouraged from using iPhones. Apple's share price went down more than 7% in just 24 hours this week. Yeah, I saw this headline. The government was banning iPhones for government employees. Well, it's looking less like an iPhone ban, Ah. per se, at least now, than reports of a few sporadic mumblings from various departments that employees should maybe (laughs) probably not have iPhones, or if they do have them, they bear responsibility for any problems. I mean, it doesn't seem like the most systematic edict, uh, at least so far, and there's no wider deadline being reported. And yet, $200 billion? How did so much of Apple's market cap get wiped away in a single day? Yeah, so there's always the chance that it could have been an overreaction from investors, but it might also be because they're seeing the start of a freezing with Apple's relations with China. And that is bad news because Apple is completely dependent on the country, yes, for sales to domestic consumers, but also more critically for manufacturing and components. At the start of this year, more than 95% of its physical products were made in China. Yeah, we've covered on the show before how there's not really an obvious alternative to China when it comes to that very technical and relatively low-cost manufacturing that they can do at scale, right? Yeah, like there's some iPhone assembly starting to be done in India, but the country faces infrastructure and workforce issues. Vietnam is another possibility, but as a country, it's already manufacturing a lot. And so this dependence on China is why you typically hear Apple CEO Tim Cook being... Pretty circumspect when he's talking about the Chinese government. Here he is responding to Representative Greg Stube at the House Judiciary Committee in 2020. Uh, Yes or no answer. Do you believe that the Chinese government steals technology from U.S. companies? Start with Mr. Cook. 
Uh, I don't know of specific cases where we uh, have been stolen from uh, by the government. Uh, smooth talking cook over there trying to avoid the question. So you don't believe that the Chinese government's stealing technology from U.S. companies or you're just saying that not from yours? I'm saying uh, I, I know of no case on ours where it occurred, which is I can only speak to firsthand knowledge. Yeah, so keeping his cards pretty close to his chest on that question. And so the bigger picture is that, like, after the U.S. has banned sales on some Huawei products, it's imposed an advanced semiconductor ban exporting to China. You've also got TikTok banned from various government agencies' phones. You know, this can be seen as retaliatory action. And the worrying thing to me is we don't know where it will end. All right. Well, a little suspense there. And Nick, I think you've got something else exciting, a high stakes negotiation. I can only hope that involves, I don't know, someone in like an FBI windbreaker, bank robbery, hostages. (laughs) Yeah, kind of like that. No, uh, no, no, not at all like that. My indicator of the week is one in 400, as in one in every $400 the U.S. government spends is on one medication. On one drug? On one single drug. Uh, The reason I'm mentioning that this week is that that might change. The U.S. government just announced that that drug, it's called Eliquis, is one of 10 drugs that they're going to negotiate with drug makers for Medicare Part D recipients. Medicare Part D is the federal program that helps elderly people pay for prescription drugs. And this negotiation is part of the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's a big deal. It's the first time the government has been allowed to negotiate directly with drug companies on prices in the history of Medicare Part D. I mean, this is another mind-blowing thing about this news item because it's like, oh, so the U.S. government hasn't been able to negotiate with drug companies this whole time? What? It is wild. In the 2003 law that established Medicare Part D, the government was explicitly barred from directly negotiating with drug makers. Now, something like 65 million seniors are enrolled, and since they have higher drug costs than younger people, Medicare Part D accounts for roughly one-third of all pharmaceutical spending in the U.S. Now, the pharmaceutical industry has, of course, pushed back on this. They filed a bunch of lawsuits and said because Medicare is such a large customer, this is going to disincentivize pharma companies from investing in new drug research. And, of course, they would say that. It's not completely far-fetched, we should, we should mention, but uh, the best research we've seen is that it will probably have a very small effect on that. Um, and you said that the government is starting to negotiate those things. And so when do you think these lower prices might filter through? Right. So they just announced these 10 drugs they're planning to negotiate. A lot of them are really widely used, like Eliquis, some of them less so widely used, but extraordinarily expensive for the government. What happens next is drug makers can actually say they aren't interested in negotiating, though that's kind of unlikely. They'd be penalized by either having to pull their drugs from Medicare and Medicaid or by paying steep excise taxes. If they do enter negotiations and the lawsuits don't go anywhere. The government says the new prices will go into effect in 2026. Also, it's important to note, these are just the first 10. Next year, the government plans to negotiate even more drugs. The year after that, so on, so forth. I guess this will keep going. All right. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Next up, we have Waylon Wong. You've got a tale of a return to office plan that ended in carnage. 
Ooh, yes, I do. My indicator is 46%. That is the percentage of employees at the dating app Grindr who were let go from the company over a return-to-office ultimatum. This is according to the Communications Workers of America. Grindr told its employees they would have to work out of a company office for two days a week starting in October. People had two weeks to commit to this return-to-office policy. Otherwise, they would be out of a job. This week, 82 out of 178 employees were forced to resign, according to the union. That's 46% of the staff. Oh, my. So the overall arc sounds familiar. A lot of companies trying to entice their employees back. But this seems extreme. Yeah. I mean, I would say the situation at Grindr is not just emblematic of that tension that you mentioned, but it also speaks to another workplace dynamic that we've been talking a lot about on the show, which is union organizing. Because this return to office policy was announced two weeks after Grindr employees formed a union. So the union is saying the ultimatum was retaliation. It's filed a complaint against Grindr with the National Labor Relations Board. And actually, the CW union has also accused Alphabet of similar retaliation against some YouTube contract workers who organized. So there are some similarities here going on in the tech world. Have the companies responded? I reached out to Grindr and the company said that the latest claims filed by the union against Grindr have no merit. So they're saying it's not retaliation. It's also worth mentioning that Grindr offered a relocation stipend for employees that stayed and six months of severance for those who left. Huh. So where does this leave the company with half of its staff gone? Yeah, well, the union is saying this could negatively affect the security and stability of Grindr, the app itself. And then Grindr CEO was quoted as saying at an investment conference this week that having a smaller staff will be good for the company's margins in the short term. Yep, in the short term. I mean, you can't argue with that. (laughs) Say the quiet part out loud. It's like we love a little attrition in the short term. Everyone loves attrition in the short term. Well, the world is a messy place, I think, is what we've learned from today's Indicators of the Week. Exactly. This episode was produced by Corey Bridges with engineering by Neil Rauch. It was fact-checked by Cooper Katz-McKinn. Kiki Cannon is our editor, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.